In this episode of the podcast, we meet Kate Brodock, who is a founding partner at W Fund, a venture capital fund located in New York City. Kate is a founding partner of W Fund and CEO of Women 2.0. She's lived in the tech startup world for over 15 years and has played an active leadership role in the women in tech ecosystem for over a decade. Having previously led a global organization focused on women in technology and entrepreneurship as its president for several years. Uh, so Kate, again, thanks for popping in. I know you're super busy. Um, you know, nobody is more busier than um, a fund manager, especially someone that's in the process of it. So excited to have you here, excited to learn from you. Um, Kate here, Kate Brodock is with uh, the W Fund. So uh, really excited to uh, have this discussion. You know, her and I have had some discussions the last couple of weeks just talking about everything emerging manager, everything first-time fund manager, uh, challenges, opportunities, community, network, all that stuff. So uh, a lot to unpack. But, but Kate, you know, why don't you uh, just start with maybe a quick intro and give some background, and then I'll try to navigate the discussion. And uh, maybe we can try to keep it interactive because people probably get tired of me talking too long. So Perfect. Love it. And uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, so I'll do a Cliff Notes version of my background. Um, I've been in the tech startup space for 15 to 20 years or so. And in first half of my career in two main capacities, one is an operator, COO, CMO stuff. And then, um, and of course, jack of all trades when you're in startups. And then uh, the second capacity has been really actively involved in uh, gender and representation in the space. So again, yeah. sort of that first 10 years, it was like, you know, the on the side work that I really, really loved and mm -hmm. easily could have had, you know, be my full time um, if there was an opportunity. But uh, I was part of and then for a couple of years ran a large global nonprofit focused on women in, um, in entrepreneurship. At the time, um, I was the president for about three years. And at the time I stepped down, we had about 60 chapters around the world. Mm -hmm. So did a ton of founder work, you know, everything from just mobilizing and navigating the space to like full accelerator programs, that type of thing. About five years ago, I was fortunate enough, I, I was able to combine both of those parallel paths and I acquired the brand assets to um, a for-profit for good out of Silicon Valley called Women 2.0 and uh, was able to really structure that in a way that my previous experience, at least in my opinion, um, was going to be able to tackle this issue of represent or the multiple issues of representation yeah. in this space. And so I uh, built that for a couple of years and then last year, um, actually late 2019, but I think everybody gets a pass for the big, you know, three or four month hunk of time uh, in 2020 where nobody was doing anything, especially fundraising. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we launched a, uh, a um, exact same thesis uh, venture capital fund. And I launched it with a community partner of mine who's run a similar organization for about 10 years. So um, early stage seed, mostly seed, a little bit of pre-seed, little series A, tech-enabled companies run um, and led by women or underrepresented um, founders. Uh, a past tech-enabled, industry agnostic, that's strategic. We have, a, because of our two communities, we have just a ridiculous amount of deal flow. And um, so, yeah, at this point, we're really excited to be able to write out checks to these founders is kind of the last piece here is yeah. being able to write out equity taking checks to these founders that we've been working with for you know 10 or 15 years that's really great and you know i think a huge differentiator because we were talking about differentiators last night um you know with a couple lps and uh you know just being in fintech is not a differentiator or even you know i'll be provocative not just being uh female or diverse focus is not differentiated but i think a huge differentiator is really the community that you've built. So any advice on how people can build 
content and community at scale. You know, I think you were really strategic because you built a really strong partnership with somebody, but any other advice, um, especially for emerging managers, you know, how do you really get people to care? We're seeing a lot of these Twitter VCs, right? We see people that are on Twitter and then like two months later, they got 30,000 followers and they're listed as like a 506C, right? So that means they're allowed to talk about fundraising and, and that really helps and that really boosts, um, community, but What's worked for you? What doesn't scale? I'll be honest, Clubhouse does not really work. So I've done a few Clubhouses and like some of my old friends from school are like the only people that show up. So I don't think I can do Clubhouse. Um, So it's like three people that show up. I love it. It's not for me, but what what works, what doesn't? How do you start building community? Yeah, and I'm... um, Take this with a grain of salt too, because I think Allison and I, that's my uh, partner at the fund, We've had the benefit of actually coming from community. So we're not a fund that's kind of backing into this. It's really forward for us. And we kind of added a fund. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, some of the biggest things to keep in mind are to approach communities, whatever the community is that you want to be building. Um, Normally for funds, it's of course some sort of founder community, um, co-investor community maybe. But um, take, it's it's almost like mentally take the fund out of it. And if you Mm -hmm. do that, you show up, you know, authentically and with genuine intent and you show up consistently, consistency is really important. And then really figuring out like, what is the value that you're bringing truly beyond yeah. just we're a fund and we can write out checks and, and, and really dig in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, cont- and, and I, I think it's really important to reiterate, like continue to take the fund out of what you're doing. You will reap the benefits sure. of that. And I, and I think showing up the, the founders, it's almost like the founders can kind of sniff out when you're not doing that. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the broader community can as well. I think, you know, Joel, it's funny when you're, the example you just gave is all of a sudden Twitter VC, you show up and you got 30K and then you're yeah. asking people to invest in your fund. Um, people notice that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and they, and they kind of get when it's happening. So mm-hmm. Those are just a couple of the things. And I really do think the value piece of it is important. That's something we've thought about a lot at Women 2.0 yeah. is just like, what, like, what is the true value, mm-hmm. the true value yeah. and just really dive in there. Um, and then all the basics, like it's relationship building, um, it's long-term and consistency and it's giving back and it's all, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. um, important stuff. And with your community, you just talked to, you know, probably thousands of founders. So what is the most valuable, right? I mean, for me, I I try to use my superpowers where, you know, I'm a product person. So I'm I'm always happy to play with the app and play with the website. And I'll give them like a mock-up. I'll give them like a marked up deck with like 20 revisions to their app. You know, it's up to them if they want to take it or not. Um, I'm not... Yeah, expert, but you know, that's kind of my superpower. There's other people that are like financial modelers, right? They can help you with your financials. Yep. So, you know, but what's the most important, you know, is it fundraising? Is it anything else? Uh, what, what's kind of the common pattern that you're seeing that the founders need help with? Yeah. Um, well, first I'll say like you, you just did an exactly like that powerful thing right there. As you said, look, yeah. I'm really good at X. So mm-hmm. not everybody will have that problem, but yeah. that is what I can offer to the world, you know? Sure. Generally speaking, um, for founders, and keep in mind, most of the founders that we're working with are earlier stage, so like pre seed feed. And so it depends on their journey. Once they hit Mm -hmm. fundraising, um, pitch pitch practices are like a super big thing, like just refining that pitch, going over the pitch deck. It's it's very... um, interesting how little access people have to that knowledge to be able to really effectively get a pitch done. So that's a big bucket. Um, Intros are huge, as you can imagine. So we Mm -hmm. really try to catalyze as many investor intros as we can. Yeah. Um, And then outside of when companies are outside of the fundraising stage, um, 
the variations actually kind of of what you just said, Joel, those are the big, the bigger buckets is Mm -hmm. you, you have a lot of, when you get a founder, generally speaking, they're good at one or two things. They have an experience in one or two things. And then they have all this other stuff. They, they don't, they don't really know. A lot of times it's finance. So finance is kind of a bigger bucket yeah. where you don't often have, you know, you don't often have like a CFO unless they're building a product around that. Mm-hmm. You don't know if ha- you don't often have a CFO jumping in as a founder. Right. Sure. And uh, legal is another one. And so I think, um, I think uh, filling in almost like the business basics um, is is really helpful for people and people don't get that a lot. Um, there are a lot of really great programs out there, accelerator programs, et cetera. But if you haven't run through one, that is a big, big gap is like the basics. Like how sure. in my, my next 12 months of running this business, what am I doing literally yeah. with everything? So being able to give them that. So we at women to for instance, we have an accelerator program mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, it's, it's a readiness program. Sure. It want, runs them through like accounting one Oh one, you know, and that type of thing. Um, and, and those are really the things. And then the last thing I'll say is um, specialized communities. Um, I think, I think there's a, at least I'd say a desire for that. And what I mean by that is um, if you are specifically a SaaS product is mm-hmm. really being able to have those like, okay, I have 10 other SaaS founders that I can regularly sit down and talk to. And we are just like going through this journey together. Yeah, That's something we've been thinking about a lot, but I think that's another that's another aspect is like the really close specialized mm-hmm. um, peer network. So, you know, I've been learning, I've never launched an accelerator before, but with the, the fund accelerator, I've been getting a lot of candid feedback and I've been having mentors like yourself um, ask about how to do an accelerator. And I think one of the biggest things is the programming. So I guess with the educational content, did you just build that yourself or did you get some help, like some, CFAs, because you probably have to have like a good structured programming and, and how many hours should that be a week? Because the founders are busy, right? So I'm, I'm secretly like asking because yep. it's something that I've been thinking about. So like, <laughs> what's the cadence, you know, what's, what's too much and then what's too little, like when you're trying to build an accelerator? Yeah, great question. Um, the approach that we took is that we, we took a layered approach and so we have sort of the core curriculum and we do try to keep Mm -hmm. that to your point to um tops six hours a week um okay that's good that's a good rule of thumb much like you run yeah because to your point these companies Mm. aren't stopping everything and and doing this and we're also we are also not set up like tech stars is tech stars is like a full drink from a hose they've developed that over the past two decades program right so and you know what you're getting into kind Mm -hmm. of when you go to tech stars but yeah so so that's the core curriculum then what we do on do is we layer on um essentially like optional additions and so yeah and that comes in a couple different formats so we'll do you know additional guest speakers we'll do office hours and then the other thing we like to do is that we also, we have lead mentors for mm-hmm. every single founder yeah. they meet with weekly. And then we have an outer layer of mentors that basically can engage in however they kind of want. Yeah. And then the last thing that we kind of insert there is that we do have specialized um, points of engagement. So you just mentioned like finance, financial projections, for instance, we have someone who is basically available, if you would like to go through the process of working through your projections, which pretty yeah. much everybody does, sure. set up some time with this person. Mm-hmm. If, so, so then we try, and it's really, so we basically have like a core and then like a engage at your will yeah. set of stuff 
Yeah, because you got to be sensitive to both. You got to be sensitive to both parties too. Because the founders, you're like, hey, six hours, that's time that you got to commit. But then it's scalable too, because you're not um, asking too much of a commitment because each of the modules might be just an hour for each person pretty much, right? Like the financial person, their module may be like one or two hours. And then- um, and then the VCs, do you guys, you know, something that I've seen, which, which seems to make sense, and that's going to be really aggressive with like some type of fund manager accelerator. But some of these VCs, some of these accelerators I've seen have had like venture uh, investor sprints where they will actually line up like tons and tons mm-hmm. of um, VC uh, meetings. And I think that's helpful, too, because if you're doing early stage, um, you know, just lining them up for like yeah. Series A. Um, that's also helpful, but that's like a full-time job. Yep. You know, I don't even think you can fundraise and do that at the same time. Yeah. Cause that's like a program so manager. We actually role. do. A, oh yeah. So we yeah. actually do a, a hard down version of that, but yeah. we already kind of have that process built in at women 2.0. Sure. And our accelerator just to confirm or just to clarify we are meeting them where they are in their fundraising journey. We are not one of the accelerator programs where you're expected to like be going out and fundraising at the end. Sure. For those who are, Mm -hmm. we, we, we actually do go through a little bit of that process, but we, again, we kind of have the process down already because we have like weekly pitch sessions and all this stuff. We've got the investor network set up. So we, we kind of have that already done, but yeah, it, it can be a lot. Um, but you've probably found Joel, like those are oftentimes some of the most valuable things that you can do are those intros, you know? Um, so we try to, you know, we try to just be a good steward. Yeah. And it's only going to help everybody, right? It's going to help you because you're, you know, you're helping them kind of get to the next level and it's, it's helping you help them pretty much. Right. Cause you're lining them up with other mentors and, connectivity to to really grow and accelerate um from from where you drop them off on and um and it's just a catalyst for just future growth so um i think that community is huge if you don't have a community you're not going to get to the goals and the uh, milestones that everybody's trying to march towards so you know kudos to you for building that yep. community and, and you guys are completely global too right so you guys have kind of like i guess everything is virtual now right but do you plan on yep it in person at some point or is it just better and scalable to just stay virtual uh it's a good it's a good question mm-hmm. and it's something we actually were thinking about pre-covid yeah. um is the idea of access is one of the big things is we do want these things to be accessible if yeah. you can't go somewhere. Yeah. Though we know the power of being in person. And so we're actually sort of trying to figure that out a little bit. Um, and yeah. we, we have a couple of ideas, but I don't think we have like quite an answer just yet. So, yeah. Do you think it's also helpful? You know, there's one accelerator that I specifically, um, building a friendship with they one of their LPs is is just one anchor single family office and they like to bring the LPs uh, in the in the events too because the LPs some of them are like entrepreneurs right so they actually are the same way <laughs> like some of them are like me they're kind of like hey let me roll up my sleeves and add my two cents so do you think um, have you had some LPs that, and I guess it depends right if they're super institutional right they may not care about product market fit and and try to you know do like a cohort analysis on like, <laughs> like a social media marketing campaign, but, but um, you know, what, what are the type of LPs that you think have been really good partners and um, you know, what's their level of interest with you, with kind of your community? Have you seen them kind of really be involved or do they just want to hear performance numbers? Yeah, no. Uh, love that you're asking this question because we love LPs who want to get more involved. Yeah. Um, and, and, and 90% I almost really want to say a hundred percent, but I'm just going to, you know, solve, solve for whatever, say 90. Um, they, they are the types who have already on that first phone call, they're already asking us like, and, and so what type of involvement can I have? Yeah. Um, that's great. And so we, we actually really don't have any LPs who just sit back and wait for like the quarterly update. Yeah. They engage at various levels. Um, you know, we have one LP who is an exec coach and she's just running, you know, quarterly CEO roundtables for our founders. Um, we have a couple of really specialized 
um, uh, you know, just like sort of CFO type of stuff. We have some really some specialized um, LPs. And then because Allison and I both then have these larger communities as well, we're able to allow them access. But most everybody comes to us and that is like very central to kind of what they want to get done out of the experience. Now, most of our LPs right now are individuals. We have a couple of, of family offices, but usually that lead, same thing, gets kind of excited about um, being involved. Yeah. So that right now is is the profile. But we we very much <laughs> open that, obviously, you know, within reason. We don't want anyone jumping in and, <laughs> and starting to get into due diligence and investment decisions. But, um, uh, but yes, it's a pretty porous, um, line that we have. Yeah. That's, you know, that's something that's funny that you mentioned this because we were actually talking about this yesterday. It's like, you don't want to get micromanaged and, you know, they're going to add their own two cents. So there's, there's either the blind pool or there's the, you know, Hey, let's, let's share and get your feedback. And then, um, you know, again, wearing the product manager hat, right. I mean, you get a lot of feedback, you get quantitative, qualitative data, and then you, 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 as the fund manager slash, you know, product community person have to make the best decisions. Um, so there's a lot of onus on that, but it's also liberating too, because you can kind of have the, the power and be empowered to make the decisions, but, you know, try to synthesize as much feedback as you can, right? You're going to get a lot of inputs and a lot of opinions yeah. and you got to cut through that noise. And I guess that's something that your yeah. partner works on. And I guess, you know, we talked about this too, I guess, how do you cut the noise? And this is, you know, a big hot topic, just finding LPs, um, you know, we don't have to name any specific communities, but what are some signals that you're like, man, this, this conference is like a waste of time. Um, you know, any hacks to meet LPs and I'm going to bring one up that I think is brilliant that maybe you may not know of, and maybe you already do. Cause you've tried it. Okay. Um, it's a funny hat trick. Uh, it's kind of cheesy, but I'm going to, but any, any, um, you know, advice you have for kind of meeting LPs, building LPs. I know you're still in the process. It's the, it's a CRM business. Yeah. That's what I've been hearing. Oh, yeah. Um, I am not going to have the golden ticket on this. This is yeah. something that we are, like you said, still chipping away mm-hmm. at uh, where we've been successful um, is, first of all, we are uh, able to publicly solicit. So yeah. we're on the AngelList rolling fund. Oh, sure. And okay. so that means that means in every single one of my weekly women 2.0 newsletters, mm-hmm. I can ask people and we've gotten some LPs from there. So yeah. I'll just sort of broadly put that out, but we have the community to bring that in. Yeah. So the structure, I think, equation, I think one, and I'm oh, sorry to cut you off. I was just going to pull one nugget yeah, from that. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the, the structure strategically structuring it in the right way could also help you um, be set up to have certain advantages. Yes. And, and we benefit from that because we had that community that we yeah. were able to solicit. Sure. Taking that out of the equation, because I, I, that actually isn't the majority of where we get our LPs. Mm-hmm. Um, one large bucket that we have an advantage with is that we have a lot of LPs who are um, essentially like successful women. They now have assets in their hands and they want to put their assets to work. They have somehow, maybe they've followed our work before, maybe we know them, maybe mm-hmm. they just get introduced, but they like the idea of putting that money into the hands of women founders. So that is kind of a big bucket that we yeah. have a little bit of a uniqueness mm-hmm. in, but I would say that you could translate that into what is your strength and therefore you know, how can I leverage that? We have a lot of new money. And I think there's a lot to be said about new money. People who have not been LPs before, you do have to spend time with them and talking about what it means to be an LP. And we try to be as responsible as possible. And we spend time when they need it. But if you start just chasing the same LPs who are being asked by 10 different funds, like that's when you're going to get into the sales dilemma, right? Yeah. We, we still have some of those, right? We have your Silicon Valley successful founder. Hey, we're going to dunk a bunch of money in it. We have a couple of those, but I think there's something to be said about new money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and really catering to that group. 
for the for once you start getting out of the individuals for us that is where we are still kind of chipping away at you know you can't really google too many family offices and so and we were not well wet networked in that space either and then there's the and then there's the reality that we're fund one and Mm -hmm. so once you get further into institutional you you know you're just going to be looking for the needle in the haystack yeah so we've just really kind of grassroots we've been just trying to get the intros ask for intros we've been pretty aggressive on like asking intros we even ask the people most of the people we get a no from if it makes sense we actually ask them for intros Mm -hmm. and so that is that's kind of how we've been doing it um I have been part of a couple of um, emerging fund manager programs, sort of similar to yours. I have found those. I have started to ask about that connection point because I have found those to be a little less helpful on the LP. So I really dig in on what they mean when they say there are LP connections Mm -hmm. because those have, and don't get me wrong, I love those from an educational standpoint, but that yeah. is one one area where I've started to dig in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because you got to make sure so, that yeah, each of the. Yeah. I was going to say that's a good point. I think also one thing that you mentioned too, which um, which is related, is that community can help filter that as well, right? Because the community could be like, look, you know here's a program. It's an educational program. It's taught by like fund admins, you know? Um, so it's like, are there real LPs there or people? And then a big thing is too, it's like these LPs, are they too big for like the $10 million funds? You know, that's, that's something that you got to balance too. Um, is it worth it to meet an institution if you're on fund one? Yeah, I guess long-term, um, you know, so that's a question that, you know, maybe it's good to get feedback on from your, from your peers too. And, you know, hopefully, you know, all these platforms, these emerging fund manager platforms, they, they take the feedback and they incorporate it. Right. And they, um, they roll it into the next batch. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, to your point, Joel, I'm in a couple of the sort of emerging fund manager communities as well, whether it be like, you know, um, women fund managers or whatever it is, first time Mm -hmm. fund managers, whatever, they're really helpful. Yeah. for like qualifying some of these, you know, it, it'll be something like, Hey, I got approached by so-and-so, or I got invited to do this program. Has anybody found value Yeah. out of that? Sure. Um, and the nice thing is that most people are pretty respectful, but they'll mm-hmm. give you the honest feedback that you yeah. need. And I, and that has been really helpful. Yeah. I think is just being in that community of like the people who are doing the same thing that you are and talking to the same people uh, and they're, they're very helpful. Yeah. And your reputation, you know, really carries through. And I think another big piece is it's a small community, right? You just, uh, if you just ask one person, you know, like if, if I ask, if I mention your name to Ariana, right, we, you know, you know, Ariana, and then there's probably five other people that know our second connections. Right. So I think it's just such a small community. Yeah. And even with the LPs, right. I mean, LPs is even smaller, right. They're all in the same exact deals. Uh, half of them are, they're all, you know, LPs and some of the same funds. So I think just um, trying to have that goodwill and, um, you know, good intentions yeah. in general, I think is helpful. And, um, and yeah, I think that also helps with community building too, with, uh, with deal sourcing also, you know, when you're trying to find deals, there's probably somebody that already did, deal, you know, much further diligence. So you might even save your yeah. time. So it's, you know, I think some people are kind of a little concerned that it's, oh, it's competitive because um, we're sharing too much information. But at the same time, it's like, if you don't share, it's, it's kinda, you're like frenemies, right? So you kind of are sometimes competitive, but at the same time, um, you have to work together to kind of make sure it's a good, good opportunity yep. for everybody. Right. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, with your, with your thesis, I guess, with your community, this might be good for some of the people in the community that are, you know, emerging managers or looking to, to break into VC. Um, what are some of the top characteristics that you guys 
look for when you're trying to invest in an opportunity? You know, what's your vetting criteria uh, to get them accepted into the accelerator? And then how many people do you, can you accept at a time uh, with the bandwidth that you have per cohort? Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify to the accelerator, and I know this can get confusing mm -hmm. when I talk about it, but the accelerator is separate from the fund. Got so it. that's in women 2.0 and our sure. fund is sort of over here as a, mm -hmm. as a side thing. Um, and, the, and I'll answer what I think is your question mm -hmm. second. Um, for the accelerator, we don't necessarily look at the um, ability we don't necessarily look at the invest the immediate investability on that one. Sure. We really look for, you know, there are a bunch of different application criteria. Are they generally high growth? Um, do they have enough that we can work with? Is the founder motivated? All that good stuff. Yeah. Then they kind of go on their trajectory. We might talk to two or three of them for the fund, but that's yeah. about it. Sure. Um, what I think you're, or, or I'll turn it into this <laughs> for our fund. Um, what we look at for investment criteria is a couple of things. First, first, uh, you know, our basic thesis, just to make sure it lines up. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, we have tech enabled as our bottom out, basically. And what we mean is that technology has to be the core innovation. So things like e-commerce doesn't cut it, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Um, but that's pretty broad. We are, we are explicitly generalist, mm -hmm. um, but we have some things that get us excited. So that's the first thing. Yeah. We have some things that don't get us very excited. What gets um, you excited? So we, we start, um, we talk a lot about um, access. And so mm -hmm. if, if the core innovation is basically opening up access to a market group of people, whatever it is that didn't normally have access to that, you know, two big ones might be geography and price or something yeah. like that. Uh, that is, that is excellent for us. Um, mm -hmm. we really like that. So FinTech, EdTech, Health Tech, yeah. all that, all that type of stuff. Sure. Um, especially you know, probably like one thing, the market. yeah, no, one thing could probably also be like maybe insurance tech, right? So if people are able to get like access to oh, yeah. an insurance policy through an app, um, you know, they, that is getting, that is growing in popularity in the States, but there's still emerging markets where it's still like brand new, right? The unicorns already IPO'd in, in the States, but there's still like unicorns, in like some of those other countries um, that, yeah. that can still up, up, open up access to, yeah. to fintech as well. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say for insure tech, we actually have a, not we, the fund, but um, working with a cool, very early stage. So need to wait on a little bit, but she's mm -hmm. offering in the States um, more affordable healthcare for freelancers, which is a huge hole. Yeah. Um, and that is exciting. It's a hole I've felt personally, she's mm -hmm. felt. So there's, yes. Yeah, so, but exactly that goal. It's like, it's like she is dealing with a, with millions of people in this country who are pissed off at their, their lack of healthcare options or haven't even left their full-time job because of healthcare. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's huge, but yes. Yeah, so insure tech is, is legal tech would mm -hmm. be another one. Um, yeah. I think so we actually just invested on Friday. We closed a deal with a Canadian company that has built um, an AI powered trademark registration. That's it. Straightforward platform yeah. for small and medium sized businesses. If anybody here has ever tried to register a bloody trademark, it is awful. And yeah. they have leapfrogged that by several steps. And it's fantastic. So we're really excited about that one. Um, so we love access. Uh, we love Mother Earth. So, you know, things in the sustainability space to the extent that we can. Uh, we have sure. a great advisor on for that, too. We love that. Um, and, you know, we have some fun companies. Like we have a portfolio company that does um, its stock market for sneakers. Oh, love wow. Them. Fantastic team. Yeah, like yeah. really fun, really fun company to be in. They're doing some really mm -hmm. cool stuff. They're yeah. getting into are they using uh, are using stuff. the blockchain to uh, track the not provenance? not yet. Okay, not yet, but that's on the roadmap. Yeah. So, um, so cool company. Um, mm -hmm. and then you know there are some things like some things that don't get us very excited are 
you know, marketing and ad tech, so like advertising tech. Sure. Um, eh, you know, ag, ag tech, agricultural tech, I tell you, is very exciting. Yeah. Um, There's been some robotics and, agriculture companies. I don't know if you guys have oh, been looking at that, cool. but yeah. Yep. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Um, and also, again, one of those markets that's been so low tech, there's mm-hmm. a lot of room to play in there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, something like future of work is so busy that we're just really careful there. Yeah. We generally won't look at like precede future of work companies because it's just so hard to yeah. figure out if they're going to be the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ethical boundaries. So, um, you know, are, how are you using your data? Are you good to your humans or are you, you know, the next Facebook? That's yeah. big. You know, we don't touch, we don't really touch things in like the defense space. So a couple mm-hmm. of those boundaries. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So then, so if it gets us excited, um, we, we definitely put a lot of weight on the founder from a couple different angles. Um, we really like founder market fit. So they mm-hmm. may have never started a company. They may be coming straight out of corporate, but if they have maybe deeply felt the, the pain point they're solving for, if they have been in, in, in the industry and just can absolutely neg- navigate the heck out of it, um, awesome. Mm-hmm. And so we really like that. Um, we also really need to have, like, we really like our founders. We spend a lot of time with our founders. We love our relationships with founders. And so this is going to sound cliche, but, um, you know, coachability, I think is really a big thing for us. And we see that as being the sweet spot of humility plus conviction. Mm -hmm. It's like the ability to say, I want to take in information because I know that people do this better than I do, but I can also synthesize that and make very, um, very decisions within my, my leadership role that are going to be positive and beneficial to my company. So that's important. And then we just have a couple of your, your sort of standard, um, you know, we look at all the sort of standard things that everyone does. What's your go to market strategy? How are you going to be using the money? What's the, you know, what's the market size? We're not necessarily one of those companies that have to see or funds that have to see, like a unicorn status and everything yeah. that we do, we actually feel really comfortable having a couple, having a portfolio that's getting up there, but we don't want to be the portfolio that's just leaning on the three unicorns and everyone else is like, you know, one and a half X or fail. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. we're, we're, we still get excited if it's not necessarily like, are you going to be a unicorn? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we don't even that, know until, you know, I guess talk to exactly. me in like seven years, talk to me in seven years. Right. And, and I'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 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 So those are just a, a couple of the, a couple yeah. of the things that we, we look at. No, that's really helpful. Um, you know, maybe I'll open it up for, for questions. I guess anybody in the audience uh, have any questions? Hello, I may have one, if that's okay. Sure. Yep. Hello, hey, Kate. Uh, so thank you very Hi. much for um, the discussion. Really, really, really helpful. And I really like uh, your points around building communities. And I think that is um, really important and really difficult and hard to navigate. Like if you want to start a startup, you can find many uh, books and many uh, people who have done it and you could easily learn, but to to build a community is really, really difficult. So my question for you is that, how was that possible during the Zoom life, like during the epidemic? And what was it really struggling to do that? And, you know, when you want to build something and you have this online communities, it's very difficult to fit people, I think. Well, if you see them face-to-face, it's easy to understand yes or no. So I don't know if you have some thoughts around that. Yep. Uh, great question. I'm going to preface that by saying that I have 
essentially in some capacity or another been working remotely for 10 years. So I did have a comfort level with that built in. Yeah. That being said, um, you know, for women 2.0, first of all, we went into 2020 with probably four, we had just in 2019 for the community um, done basically like these marquee core events, in-person events, summits. And we were going into 2021 having um, six of those on the docket as also as main revenue streams and ways of course to be serving the community and that sort of thing. So we had scratch <laughs> all of that. Um, however, I think what we immediately dug into was, okay, everybody just got all of the in-person community aspects stripped away from them. So how can we replicate at least some of those that are going to be the most valuable to our community and just go with it? So one example is all the founders who were fundraising and then COVID hit, they lost all of their, all of their one-to-one pitches. We had to cancel our own pitch event that had been scheduled for the end of March. They lost everything. We popped up starting in April. We popped up weekly pitch sessions live on Zoom, five minutes. We invited our entire investor network to them. Only goal was to pitch, get intros, and hopefully you will get a term sheet because this is about the best that we can do right now. Uh, those were so successful. We're doing them still in 2021. Um, we've had many term sheets signed, like 200 plus intros made. So um, what, one of the things that did happen in COVID is that I think people actually understood that they could be doing these things virtually. A lot more people started to make deals and, um, and, and, and accelerators, all of the accelerators that were running, all of Techstars, they had to all of a sudden do everything, all of their little, what, what do they have, 100 accelerator programs? I don't even know, but they had yeah. to say all virtual, YC virtual, everything. And so I think it almost got forced on them. Um, and I am excited about at least some of that sticking around long-term. I do think it's going to be very valuable when we can start bringing in the in-person stuff. I think people need that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, like you said, there's a lot you can't do um, when you're not in person uh, or that's, you know, just can't do it as well. And then in terms of kind of assessing people, we, and I think a lot of other firms, you know, for example, from the investment standpoint, um, we kind of lean a little bit more on things like founder references and um, and spending more time with them than you might in person and that type of thing. If you think about it, when you're not, when you are in person, you have that access, you also have a lot fewer meetings, right? Zoom actually gives you the capability to line up a lot more touch points. And, it, and you can actually get some different but more exposure points to somebody's personality or how they make decisions or how they communicate to people and that type of thing. So kind of like weighing the pros and cons a little bit, but I'm excited for like the merging of both of them now, because I do think virtual has opened up a lot. Yeah. Do you think, you know, and I'll, I'm sorry to jump in, but I, I think this is an important topic. Do you think um, loneliness is an issue, you know, like just when you talk to founders, okay. are, are there a lot of founders tackling that? Not only with the pandemic, but look, I live in New York City, right? And, you know, there's just people are trying to date. Uh, people are trying to meet people. And, you know, there's just a, a oh, yeah. whole mental health piece. So, do you think, um, you know, number one, as an initiative from founders, are you seeing that increase a lot? Um, and then, you know, as an investment technology opportunity, right? Um, are you seeing any innovation mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. with that, with like digital software and stuff? Yes, on all of this. Mm -hmm. And um, part of it, too, is that I think even just a little bit pre-COVID, 
this idea of mental health, especially yeah. in the startup space, was like bubbling oh, for sure. sure. Like this idea of hustle, 80 hour mm-hmm. work weeks, you know, all that stuff. And then I absolutely think it got exacerbated. And I think too, like loneliness, but, but then on the other side of the coin, five people stuck in a Manhattan two bedroom apartment and yeah. homeschooling and like, and the, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, you just so mentioned, uh, you just, you just described my life right now. <laughs> there you go. Um, yes. So um, I absolutely mental health in the past yeah. year has been across the board, really important. Um, we started the fund at least thinking about that anyways, uh, yeah. and pre COVID because we have mainly because we just, we want founders who are founder being a founder is already so lonely. Yeah, it is. It can be ugh, anyways. And so we already were thinking about the, just the personal well-being mm-hmm. of our founders going into it. And now I think even more so. Yeah. And then, and I think there are quite a few funds starting to kind of do that with their founders. Mm-hmm. And then to your last question about innovations in the space. Oh my gosh, there's so much. One of my, uh, one of my classmates from my grad school program, he's in Sweden now, but he's running an entire fund oh, that wow. just invests in the mental health and wellness yeah. space. Um, and so there's a lot of technology that is coming out to address anything from, again, like access to mm-hmm. mental health professionals. Yeah, We have a woman in our accelerator program right now that is building a product specifically for professional women, mm-hmm. just around being a community focused on the mental health of your professional female peers. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's really um, another cool area of uh, of innovation right now, for mm-hmm. sure. And that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, the people that are kind of trying to find the tribe, um, if they're able to find some type of tribe or community that they can relate to, I feel like that in itself is a huge support system. So, you know, I'm just really excited to hear that you're doing that and and really helping people out, you know, with, with the community. Cause I think you're helping on all different fronts, right? It's founders, it's females, but then it's just kind of the community as well um, to, to support, you know, all those things intersecting. And, and I think it is strategic that you have two different uh, entities, right? You got the community, but then the fund is also kind of, um, you know, driving against its own mandate. So, you know, kudos to you on that. And I know we got uh, about 10 minutes left. So hope, uh, hope that's all right with you, Kate. I know, um, you know, we might have a couple questions here. So I guess I'll just, I'll just open it out to the audience. Does anybody have any questions for, uh, for Kate? I wanted to give you guys a little bit of time if you guys had any. I actually have one. Uh, Sorry, I have one. Uh, Go go ahead, Rob. Hi, Kate. Uh, This is Rob. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, When you mentioned about how you structure the accelerator program earlier, that's really helpful. And when you mentioned about the lead mentor and the external mentor, along with pairing Mm -hmm. with uh, such a matter expert from the industry contact, I think that's pretty uh, interesting. So what I want to ask is essentially, when you advise startup founders, how do you advise for uh, product solution fit? Or like problem solution fit because when they are like looking for a product market fit you know with the mvp like how do you recommend that hey like maybe you're on the right problem but then like your solution might be different but how do you look at the signals and how do you like determine like you know or when's the time to like uh do an action i guess yeah um so the first thing i i ask is whether that founder has done um, like basically customer discovery. So the end goal is that you're serving, you're serving a customer with your solution. And so the, the first thing is whether you have a product or not, understanding of like that person who's going to be paying you <laughs> at the end of the day yeah. actually needs what you think they need. So that I make sure that that's already happened. Is it just mm-hmm. your problem or are there, is there actually a lot of people out there who are having the same problem. So if that is, if they've done that and they're like, yep, definitely that type of thing. Um, 
I, I always, I always advise, like, listen, the, the, the one thing I do love is, is the movement of kind of like no code, low code, and just being able to pop something up to start getting those customer potential customer proof points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and understanding, okay, what pieces of this could go into a product. So like, it doesn't matter if you're doing things on like a combination of like Google sheets and a WordPress and like a landing page and whatever, but are, can you actually build in there the proof points that you need to then further build on that product and, and, and get to your MVP stage and, and really kind of tackle it from a feature perspective beyond that. And then I always really appreciate, like, don't try to tackle everything. Be really, figure out what you think the core is and then do something very simple around that core. Whether you think you could do five things with this product in the future, like just start with one and then continue on that. And again, it's all, this is all about proof points. And in my opinion, it's all about proof points because that is what you need from customers. You need yeses from your customers. So when you're building that product, you have to figure out how to get those yeses from them. Um, and yes, is, I'm not saying they're actually going to say yes to you, but they're going to engage in your pr- platform. They're going to whatever it is. Um, so I don't know if that quite answered your question, but that would, that would be kind of the conversation that I would have with a founder who maybe doesn't have a product set up yet. And they're trying to get on that pathway to an MVP. And then I would say, Rob, also that I, I have a couple of people who I'd also, that, who are product experts like Joel. Maybe I'll send somebody to Joel next time. Um, But I also have a couple of people who are like, you know, I I wouldn't call myself a product expert. Mm -hmm. If they're really in this, then in that serious realm, I might, I might ask one of my colleagues who's a product expert. Hey, I've got this great founder. Um, I spent a little time with them. Sounds like they're in a really great spot right now. Do you have 30 minutes to spend with them? And that is kind of founders love that. They don't need all the stuff from you. They need information. And if you are the connector and you can also save yourself 30 minutes, that's really valuable to founders. Thank you. That That's very comprehensive. I, I like The second part to it, I, I know, I just want to ask like one last thing is, what are your thoughts on the future of marketplaces? Are they going to intersect between e-commerce and social media? What is your thesis on that? Yeah. Um, marketplaces are hard yeah especially two-sided <laughs> um, right i get oh god yeah um i mean man you've got to line up so much um to even execute on a marketplace and that is not me saying that they aren't going to work um at all but but i think um that is where like and like joel said especially on the the two-sided marketplaces is like really understanding what your customers, whatever the sides of the table are need um, and how you can deliver. Because the thing with marketplaces too, is you often have like one shot to prove your value. Once you get people in there, like if you, if they, if they come to you and you're, you're not matching them or whatever it is that your marketplace is going to do, you will probably not get that person back as a potential user. So you've really got to have your ducks in a row. So that's me being a, like maybe a little cynical um, because, I, because I've actually worked <laughs> in, in a startup that was a marketplace and it is very difficult. If you can figure out that nugget and you can start showing user growth, and then in addition to that, making sure that at some point you're going to have people opening their wallets, then fantastic. So, but that's my, that's my answer on, on marketplaces. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, yeah. I, I'm doing a marketplace yeah. site. That's why I asked about it. You know, okay. <laughs> keep going just you got it you got it (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah good question and good advice um i guess jude did you have a a question might have 
went off for a second. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, I, no worries. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's um, hi, hi, Kate. It's more related to hi, dude. Hi, it's it's more related to um, basically the personality traits for some maybe that an LP may be interested in for. Um, you know, someone that's sort of, you know, a, a VC coming from a pre-seed compared to a growth sort of front. Do they, do they have particular personality traits that, that they tend to look for, for, you know, from pre-seed to growth? Or does it all sort of blur and it's all one type of person, type of, you know, communication style that they, they prefer? And uh, let me just clarify, are you talking LPs, looking for personality traits in fund managers? Absolutely, yes. Or, okay. Um, I think from my experience, I think this varies on the type of LP and how they kind of function. For individual LPs, for individuals, I think it's very much just like a, if they, if they believe in what you're doing, it's a, it's a personality mesh. Um, you, you know, you've got to convince them and that's, uh, they either like the full package or not. Um, I don't mean to oversimplify that, but to me, like the one-on-one -on -one thing is just very kind of individual for family offices. Um, I actually got really great advice when I started fundraising. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows Charles Hudson. He runs precursor. He's on like fund three. Now he's one of my advisors at women 2.0. So I had a couple chats with him and I was um, thinking about starting this fund and Charles is like super, if you ever get to like listen to Charles talk, he's just super practical. He's just like, look, here's the flipping deal. And so he told me the deal with family offices and he said, they all function on like their own set of things that they get excited about. And he told me this example of when he went in um, for his first, he had gotten an intro to his first family office uh, conversation when he was raising fund one. And he had like, you know, he had the presentation deck with the return profile and the, you know, all the money stuff. Right. And luckily his friend was there in the waiting room and his friend pulled him aside. He's like, he's like, no, 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 don't do any of that. All this guy cares about is honestly, like if you can get him tickets to the freaking NBA game or something like that, and so, so in 15 minutes, Charles just completely changed his pitch and he ended up not investing in fund one. They weren't a fund one investor, but he got him in, in fund two. And he just, he was like, I had no idea. Like you just, you have to, you know, everybody functions differently. Mm -hmm. And then I think at the institutional level, they're much more data driven um, and performance driven and where we've had the most success is when we can, um, when we can really communicate how they can overcome the risk that they perceive in investing with us. Cause ultimately that is a long shot of an investment for institutional to invest in the first time fund manager and fund one. And so if we can, and those are long-term relationships. So if we can just continue mm -hmm. to feed that relationship, be very gracious when you get, you get a couple of no's, I think is important. Um, keep engaging with them. We have one we're still working on. I, I'm, I say to him, hey, listen, I've got a really cool FinTech deal. I'd love for you to look at it. Seems like it would be a good fit for your fund. Like I'm still doing all of that. And I think it's just back to that relationship. And I do think graciousness really matters there. Um, yeah. and, 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 and being in that conversation for the long run. So I don't know if that answers your question, Jude, but those are a couple of things. Uh, yeah, I, I posted that blog with Elizabeth Yen, uh, you know, whenever you guys get a chance and Kate, you probably mm. read it, but I mean, it's just, you know, that blog was yeah. interesting because there was no correlation. Like she just met so many LPs and, um, and she just didn't see a correlation. She just, it was really kind of a, it's, it's a sales CRM strategy um, from what I'm seeing from a lot yeah. of people, but everybody's different, right? I mean, it also depends on how you're 
targeting the LPs. If you're if you're only pinging institutions, you're probably just too small for them. Um, so really, kind of doing the exercise of like who who is the profile of like who I should target yeah. as an LP. Yeah, and Joel, I'll, I'll add super quickly a piggyback to that. What you just said was being being very realistic about yeah. who you can get. Is we were we got so many times the advice of like, listen, you're probably not going to get an institutional investor. Yeah. But most people said start the relationship now, which mm-hmm. is 100%. So, but we don't expect no's from that. Yeah. And then it's about where you're going to put your time. Because mm-hmm. if you, I mentioned needle in a haystack, if you put all your time into trying to get institutional investors and you've got, and you've, you're going to land one out of 200 Whereas if you talk to individual LPs, you're going to land, you know, 10 out of 50, mm-hmm. you can figure out the math. So. Yeah. yeah. Good question. I know we're over time. Um, I guess, Kate, do you have maybe one minute if anybody else has a final question? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I guess I'll, yeah. Does anybody else have anything? If not, we'll, um, we can wrap up, but just want to see if anybody has anything else. Thank you so much. All right. Then I guess, uh, you know, Kate, put her link in there if you want to connect. And Kate, I know you're super busy, so really appreciate you coming in and uh, and uh, yeah. doing some storytelling with us. Have a good one. And we'll catch up soon, hopefully. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah have a great night coming. or yeah. day or whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.